KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In-Depth. My name is Matt Leon. We continue to keep an eye on the world of college athletics. Of course, we have seen a lot of conferences, a lot of schools decide not to participate in fall sports because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've seen other conferences, other programs decide to take a wait-and-see look. Uh, In the bigger picture, we have seen sports cut. We've seen positions cut as a result of all the disruption from COVID-19. So we wanted to kind of take stock where we were in the world of college athletics, what we've seen, what we expect to see. To have this conversation, we reached out to Dr. Karen Weaver, Associate Clinical Professor of Sport Management at the LeBeau College of Business at Drexel University. Always good to get her perspective. Great conversation. Give a listen. So as we are speaking here, turning the corner towards the end of July, over the last few weeks, we have seen a lot of decisions from conferences, from universities, uh, basically deciding not to play sports in the fall. Has kind of the cascade effect we've seen been about what you thought it would be? Yeah, I think the reality really has settled in. Um, Conferences, of course, are spread out over multiple states. And as each state tries to wrestle with their with where they are managing this crisis, it's been different. And even if you look at the state of Pennsylvania, how Philadelphia and the five counties surrounding it have reacted is different than the central part of Pennsylvania. And now all of a sudden we have a spike in the southwestern corner of Pennsylvania. And that causes things to change in terms of the calculation as to whether it's safely, you're safely able to bring people from all over the country back to your campus and then also take those same that same group of people to other areas of the country where you don't know what the safety precautions might be. So we've seen a lot of people talk, hopefully, and I understand it, about a lot of the sports that maybe aren't being played in the fall, specifically, obviously, the, the headline is football, being moved to the spring. And I think reflexively you understand the possibility, but it seems to me, even if we un- operate under the idea that the virus is completely under control by the spring, you're going to be putting a lot of stress, not just on facilities, but on support staff and stuff like that. How feasible do you think this this possibility is? I think it's tremendously difficult because not many schools have a dedicated football stadium that doesn't allow any other sport to play in it. Typically, the reason you build a stadium is to have it, you have multiple purposes, right? It can be used for football in the fall, maybe soccer, but then in the spring, it might be used for lacrosse. It might be used for track and field and and a variety of scheduling jujitsu will have to be done in order to try to figure this out. Uh, the other problem is, is it, what do you do with, with rescheduling? Uh, you're, in some schools, your semester goes from the middle of January until the end of April. And so are you proposing starting games in January? And if so, in the northeast part of the United States, how many people want to sit outside in a January snowstorm in, in you know, Center County, Pennsylvania? What do you do in terms of your, your revenues and your staffing? And certainly the, the overload that will create on the internal staff like athletic trainers. Looking at it from the other side, though, how devastating will, would an empty year be for a lot of these programs? And I'm not even talking your top-shelf million-dollar college football, like SEC stuff like that. I just mean across the board, if, if these institutions lose a year of, of competition, 
financially, to the program, to the personnel? I mean, how, how tough would that be? Devastating. And I'm paying close attention to what's going on with schools that are what we call tuition dependent. Those are schools that every year, you know, need those, those revenues to come in, the athletes to want to come to campus and play that sport and pay that tuition revenue. And so if they don't have a motivation to come to campus because their sport has been postponed or, you know, canceled for the remainder of the fall semester, I think a lot of schools are worrying about what their enrollment rates will be. We've always had this thing in, in college um, admissions called the summer melt where the excitement of the, of the spring is melts away in the summer and, and not the enrollment doesn't necessarily happen as much as they thought. But there's real concern this year that that summer melt could turn into a summer avalanche in terms of uh, students deciding just, it just isn't worth it to try to come back and do something where they're not getting to do everything that they want to do as part of their college experience. For institutions, conferences, and it's more your big time with once again and, I don't want to make this all about football, but that is obviously the driving force in a lot of this. Have you heard anyone talk about what they are willing to tolerate as far as failure? And it, as and what I mean by that is we're going to try to play in the fall, but if we hit a point where one-tenth of our roster tests positive, we're going to call it out. Have you seen anyone kind of set parameters for themselves of what they're willing to tolerate and, and what they're willing to deal with? You know, I haven't. I wrote an article for Forbes a couple of weeks ago about this and asking kind of what was the magic number of of positives before, you know, you would shut something down. And I even said, is it a combination of like the the starting quarterback and the best defensive lineman? Is it that combination or is it the head coach and two two running backs? And I was being a little bit tongue in cheek, but really, I think what schools are starting to pay attention to now, which I'm really, really glad to say they are, is they're looking at the impact of bringing these athletes back to campus will have on the total ecosystem of the community health professionals. In other words, if they have an outbreak in their football program, what does that mean for the rest of the community that the school inhabits? What does it mean for their hospital, for their healthcare workers, for their ICU beds? It may not be the football player in that ICU bed, but it could very well be somebody the football player came into contact with who then had to go into the ICU bed. So at least I hear people talking about that, that particular connection. I've talked about this with other people, and we've talked about what no seasons would mean to a university would be devastating. But I think, and I, I use this analogy, but I, I used to work in state college, and I know what those seven Saturdays in the fall mean, not just to the university, but to the concept of state college borough, how much is, I mean, some of these towns that are, are college towns past the damage to the university. I mean, they're going to get flipped upside down if there's not a college football season or if there's not a college football season, even with fans. Yeah. There's no doubt that that's been uh, uh, heavy on a lot of people's minds because places like state college and Iowa city and uh, Iowa and Bloomington, Indiana are true college towns. There's, there's no other way to look at them, but you also have to think about their, the impact of just not bringing students back, let alone football games. I mean, state college, Penn state has, you know, 40, 42,000 students on campus. They're used to a certain amount of traffic in their bars and restaurants and, and in the bookstore and other places, even just apartment leases. 
So the ecosystem is dependent on what colleges do. And football, of course, helps to drive it six or seven Saturdays a year. But there's another ecosystem at play that's equally as damaging. One of the we've seen a lot of programs go by the wayside at different universities. Uh, And I think one of the higher profile ones was what Stanford did. They got rid of a, a ton of sports. But I must say, in reading their reasoning, and I thought they were at least as upfront and transparent about it, it wasn't just a press release and the coaches found out 15 minutes before the decision was made. Like it or hate it, I thought at least I kind of pointed that as that's the way it should be done if it has to be done. Yeah, Stanford dropped 11 sports. Almost all of them were uh, Olympic sports, highly successful sports, which is unusual that you see programs, you know, make a move to drop their more successful programs. And the other thing that's interesting about Stanford is that they've consistently been the top ranked program in all of college sports. They have won the director's cup title for, I don't know, 20 years in a row or something like that. I mean, they are the standard in division one. So what they're saying is that we're right-sizing our, our sport offerings. We're going to go from 36 to 25. And, you know, schools like Texas, which is also a very good athletics program, only have the minimum number of NCAA sports. They have 16, and they are operating on a larger budget than Stanford is was for their 36 sports. So in some ways, Stanford's saying, you know, we just, we just don't think we can afford to do this anymore. And uh, to build on what you're saying, Dartmouth also dropped a few sports. and But they also were very upfront, and they said, look, we're trying to rebalance our our student population. We want to make sure that we don't have uh, it skewing one way or the other with a type of group. We want to create more diversity in our in our students' body. We want to create more opportunities in our in our enrollment slots, those kinds of things. So I, I, see, I saw something different there that I'd seen in other situations. Do you expect to see more of that or do you think for the time being, that wave has crested, but it could come back again in a couple months once we kind of reached a new point in this. Well, you know, many, many folks who care deeply about college sports are, would like to see some of the cut, the fat cut inside of uh, college football primarily. They just feel like there are an overabundance of coaches, an overabundance of folks who work in the program, an overabundance of spending on recruiting. You could, t- you could easily point to the hotels the night before a home game. And so a lot of people, and I count myself one of them, would rather see that kind of spending attacked versus athletes losing opportunities by having their programs dropped. I've heard a lot of support staff over the, the last few months, some schools laying off their athletic communications department, rolling it into something else. Uh, I've heard of uh, – furlough days and other athletics. Uh, We talked about sports being dropped. Are we kind of seeing the transformation of college athletics in real time? Are we seeing a lot of these moves that, yes, the pandemic put them in motion, but you might see other places, maybe I'm not talking about furloughs, but specifically what Vanderbilt did rolling their communications into the school. Once one person does it, are you concerned you could see other schools follow suit? Well, I think, you know, it's happening in, in, in different pockets of the country. For example, the University of Akron just laid off 96 faculty members, and, and that, was, that was pretty devastating. Um, Rutgers University is, uh, the faculty are suing the university because the university has found $100 million 
to take out of the central budget and put it into, into the athletics budget while laying off lots and lots and lots of faculty. So there's this tension now of fighting over scarce resources. So trying to find ways to maximize what your the roles that are on campus and also combining roles is not unheard of in, in, in the world of higher education. But what is challenging is that we have bought into the fact that digital content that we create in athletics is valuable for a whole host of reasons. It's valuable for branding. It's valuable for sponsors. It's it's valuable for recruiting. It's valuable for promoting a player's brand. So how Vanderbilt addresses those kinds of issues, if their athletic communications office is harbored, harbored inside of the general university's communication office has yet to be seen because we've seen a real explosion on the digital side in college sports. Have you heard or talked to anyone? Obviously, we're waist deep in discussions now about the fall, but have you heard concern? People don't know what they're going to do about the winter. I mean, we've seen, I know the Ivy League said January 1st, and some of the, I've seen Division Two and Division Three are setting January 1st as a day, but do you think we'll end up seeing kind of a, across the board a, a lot of just shifting to 2021 for the winter sports as well? I think it's possible. I think um, if you've listened carefully to the scientists who've talked about how this has not been a, a series of waves, but it's been one continuous wave of infections and now we don't have it under control. Most of the folks that I've listened to have talked a lot about indoors and how indoors is more dangerous than outdoors. And all of our winter sports are indoors. So how do we, how do we do that? And, and that's, I, I think, Right now, athletic administrators made the decision that they needed to make that was sitting right in front of them. Now they'll prepare over the next few months about what the next decision comes. I've not read of many schools that have just said, we're not going to do it all at all this year. I mean, we're just going to write off the entire academic year because they haven't done that with their academic programs. But I do think that, okay, now they've made their fall sports decision They've got to manage the students and the coaches they have, but the next decision is looming right there, right around the corner, and that is what do we do with winter sports. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.